Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gell here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast today. Going to look at PFF underscore Mike's latest mock draft, touch on some notables in his three-round three round mock draft. You can check that out on PFF.com for the full mock. We're also going to do our offensive line class overview, looking at the offensive tackle, anterior offensive line classes. And then I got interviews with San Jose State wide receiver Trey Walker and then Northern Illinois safety Christian Uphoff. Let's get it. Salts are cracked back in studio, Cincinnati, ready to go, wearing matching glasses today. Yeah, I decided to wear mine. So the, the viewers they look very how, similar. How similar they are. But you know what? So they look similar. And then I was watching the grad school on Twitter yesterday, and Tresh pops up with damn near identical glasses. Dude, today. PFF underscore Anthony or Anthony Tresh goes on with Bruce Gretkowski on Twitter, and he does have very similar looking glasses. Quinn, I mean, like you could put up the picture. Identical, yeah, yeah, Quinn. And, and this happened. is good to know, too, because I actually am about to buy some new glasses, and I was looking at something strikingly similar. <laughs> now I can't get it because I can't be the fourth guy in the office to show up I, I've had glasses, this take about so them, no. and I don't think I can get off of it. It's that, and I'm going to look at the camera here. I think I look like I own a library, or I volunteer at a very nice one. You I feel like that's the library. Look. Libraries are, like, public. No, I own a library in my own home. Oh, like a little okay, private yeah. lib yeah. with a lot of really good books. That's what I think the look I'm working with right now is. No, I think Or it's... I volunteer at a really nice one. You look a little mysterious. If you were wore a suit, you'd be mysterious. I might wear a suit. Yeah. What kind of suits do you have? I want to match you. <laughs> I do think yours are a little bit more circular. Mine are. Yeah, I mean, they're different, but they're similar. Tresh's, though, were identical. Tresh bought the exact same glasses. You hate to possibly. see it. You honestly hate to see it, but... Best form of flattery, right? I know. I'm I'm trendsetter, office trendsetter. All right, I'm going to look at your mock draft now. I'm not going to read every single pick in your three-round mock draft, and I know you said this was an absolute grind, but I'm going to highlight some notables in this one, some ones that maybe we haven't seen, some picks that we haven't seen, starting with the I'm New England Patriots. I'm trying to find it right now because if I go to mock drafts on pff.com. Oh, I need to fix that. That's yeah. on me. That's on it's me. It's not even six, 16 days ago. Whew. I apologize. Um the first pick I want to highlight, though, is the New England Patriots trading up from 15 to 9 with the Denver Broncos to grab quarterback Mac Jones of Alabama. I've heard from multiple people that trading up for Mac Jones feels risky. And for the New England Patriots to do that, to trade up for a quarterback and not get one of the big four, one of the kind of you know, high-ceiling, big traits guys, and instead land with Mac Jones, I find that interesting. I don't know if I love that move for the Patriots. I don't know if I do either, <laughs> but desperation breeds poor decisions sometimes and i do think that these guys are all going to go high i think you see five in the top 10 i just think you do i, I think you go one two three four and then someone at that point because you're going to have mac jones start slipping I, I do think if he went to if he fell to 19 if he fell to 20 washington and chicago would pull the trigger respectively he's not going to go that like he will not get past there and i do think that this is the class that the patriots are going to be players in because keep saying this roster building how you know spending all this money in free agency second most whatever guaranteed money all time only works if you have a cheap quarterback you cannot spend like that in free agency if you're paying a quarterback 30 million dollars a year if cam newton balls out this year 
you are paying Cam Newton $30 million a year, and all of a sudden that whole sort of plan of building it crumbles. Now, maybe Bill Belichick only is going to coach three more years, and that's his plan, is saying the crumbling is for someone else to deal with. But I do think that they could be in the market for a first-round quarterback. And I had some guy, uh, I had a hilarious response to someone, or someone had a hilarious response to me, I thought, about the mock draft, saying Bill Belichick can get by with late-round quarterbacks. It's like, oh, I wonder, like, I wonder why that is, you know, like he, there was because he's had one quarterback for 20 years. Not everyone can get by. Like that is the outlier that Bill Belichick got by with a late round quarterback. The vast majority of NFL history, that has not been the case. I think the interesting thing about Mac Jones is some people yesterday were saying that, you know, he's more of an athlete than people thought. He ran a 4-8. Are you making anything of those pro day numbers for Mac Jones? I mean, he's like Jared Goff level athlete. Does Jared Goff do anything for you? Outside, Jeez, like, don't make it that. Broad. I'm saying, like, I'm saying, like, does Jared Goff? Is are you running an option with Jared Goff and feeling good about it? Does Jared Goff even exist? That's how my, that's how that question was phrased. It, it felt that was rude. not okay. I mean, it's just saying Jared Goff is an athlete. He's not bringing anything to the table. Yeah, he can maybe like do a little outside the pocket, but you're not. That's not what you're banking. On. Also, athleticism is so much more than your forty time. Like yeah. you know, you there. I don't know. Regardless, forty time is not an indication of pure athleticism. I think the other pick I wanted to highlight is New York Giants passing on wide receiver and going cornerback J.C. Horn of South Carolina. I found that interesting because Devontae Smith goes two picks later. Well, I think a lot I, of Giants fans are upset about that. I did it because Dory Jackson had not signed yet, and now he signed. So I possibly regrettable, but <laughs> I mean, shit. Would you? How good would that be to have a secondary that's those three guys? Though I do think. We will see more teams following in the Miami Dolphins' footsteps after how good their defense was last year. They have Xavier Howard. They have Byron Jones. They draft a cornerback in the first round. No, Three cornerbacks start for your defense, and especially when you are a man-heavy team. That slot, the slot corner in a man-heavy scheme is a lot more valuable than it is in a zone-heavy scheme. Slot corner in a zone-heavy scheme is, is a glorified linebacker at that point. In a man-heavy scheme, you are... You're, you're the easiest target for someone. Mm -hmm. That is the easiest route to throw. That's where, like, Tom Brady against man coverage is going to Julian Edelman in the slot. That's like, you know that's going to happen. That is where, if you're a man of a scheme, that might be the most valuable sort of position because that's where, you know, that's the easiest throw for a quarterback to make if that guy gets open quickly. So I do think that that's a feasible, but maybe not probable at this point. I think they're sneakily in the mix for offensive line now, the Giants. Like, that's... That might be Rayshon Slayer's floor at this point. I think it's interesting how you have the cornerback class, though. You have the Dallas Cowboys taking Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech at 10, and then the Giants taking J.C. Horn at 11, and then Patrick Sertan of Alabama at 12. I think this came out, obviously, before. I was going to say, all the news yesterday really just boned me. Yeah. Because Caleb Farley. Back surgery. Back surgery. Do you, have you talked to your dad about that and how big of a deal that is? I have not yet. Can Probably you? should. You should talk to your dad more. Um, I'm going to see him this weekend. But uh, I do think that he's going to slowly and steadily, maybe not slowly, swiftly fall down. Like a guy with multiple back issues, you're not drafting the first round that high. Yeah, yeah, I don't care how good his tape is. His tape's great, but he sat out a year and he has back issues. That's just going to be too many red flags for a team to really want to go in on. He might fall out of the first round altogether with Man. issues like that. It's just, it just is the case. You, no one wants to have that first round pick that can't see the football field ever. True. Yeah. What about so Patrick Sertan had like a hell of a day at his pro day. Obviously, some of those numbers are inflated. Everyone, I tweet out his numbers like, oh my God, at a pro day, it doesn't matter. He might as well have just not done it. It's like, no, wait a second. Not only were those numbers good, even if you factor in like some levels of error, like they were very good for Patrick Sertan. Yeah. Like he is not, 
he is a much better athlete than I expected. Those are better numbers than I expected, even with yeah. the pro day included. Like those are better numbers than I expected. I would say he is a lock to be the first cornerback off the board. Ooh, I don't. I wouldn't say he's a lock. Really? I think you can see. I think Farley will not be the first cornerback off the board, but I think there's a world where J.C. Horn's first cornerback. Really? Off the board too. I, I think they're different players, and uh, what the skill sets they bring to the table and how they play the game of football that you could fall in love with. J.C. Horn's tape. So uh, that one's still kind of up in the air. I am curious to see how they do come off the board, though, because I, I think no one's really sh- said any of them are going top 10, but like I don't think anyone saw C.J. Henderson go in top 10 last year, and they ended up going ninth overall. So I could see one of them sneaking in. Do you think oh, – we're sticking on the Giants pick. You have them taking J.C. Horn of South Carolina, passing on Devontae Smith, who goes to the Chargers two picks later. Do you think the signing of Kenny Galladay – I know you said this was before Dory Jackson signing, but this mm-hmm. was after the Kenny Galladay signing. Do you think that gets them out of wide receiver at 11? I still think that, like, Jalen Waddell at 11 to pair with Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, it would be awesome. Shepard. I would, I would not be out of it personally. I do think that Dave Gettleman's in a job-saving mode. Like he's one of the GMs where, like, if it if it doesn't happen again this year, he's probably gone. So that's why I think offensive line is where they ultimately go with that pick eleven because that's where you make the biggest incremental increase. One more wide receiver, I don't think, is making an incremental increase over a Sterling Shepard, whereas one offensive lineman can make a massive increase over. Gosh, I don't know who the hell they're throwing out at right guard at this point. So there you go. I really like Jason Oway Edge from Penn State going to the Cleveland Browns at 26. I like the Jacksonville Jaguars grabbing Terrace Marshall Jr. of LSU at 25. I think they can. I think they need to build around Trevor Lawrence and add some more talent, and specifically a guy who can win over the middle of the field. And you saw him have a ton of success in the slot. I think he can play on the outside as well. But you, the tight end position in Jacksonville is bad. Like, and I think someone was talking to me recently. Is like a, you know, a you know like Chris Manhurts. Not a big Chris Manhurts fan. He's a good run blocker. Um, Which is like ironic because he's a former basketball player. But yeah. Some someone was asking Not me, isn't a rookie quarterback's best friend a good tight end? I think a good Trevor Lawrence's best friend is a guy open forty yards down the football yep. field because he's going to hit him in stride. And I think Terrace Marshall can do exactly that. DJ Chark can win down the football field. Lavisca Chenault Jr. can be this guy that is their yak player and their yak type. Calling tight ends and running backs best friends is the most overplayed trope in the NFL because. Like you said, the, the quarter, a quarterback's best friend is having their number one read open every time. It's having their number one read, which is usually your wide receiver, one of your wide receivers, being able to beat the guy across from them and to get open. That's a, that's a good thing to have. Not having the guy who, when, when your first and second read isn't open, then they're open. That's not a great best friend because that teaches you to get to your check down too quick. That's how you turn into Alex Smith. Yeah. Can, Can we, we still, still say, say safety blanket? Tight ends, no. good safety blanket. Can't say safety blanket. Can't really? Say safety blanket that's okay. not. That's the same trope, and it's it's. What about out. security it's blanket? Not. Some people mix it: security and safety. Weighted blanket. Weighted blanket. Dude, they're actually kind of fire. Weighted I didn't know weighted blankets were legit. All right, I'm jump jump into the uh, second round now. After passing up, you got running back Najee Harris to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 32. Yeah. You wouldn't actually do that if you're the Buccaneers GM. Was this what you think's gonna happen? That's what I think's gonna happen. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just making sure. Luxury pick, my God! You know who took a luxury pick at running back last year that won the Super Bowl? Frankly, Kansas City Chiefs. Hey, they got back to the Super Bowl, so now stop. I can't that. do this anymore. They're not taking I, running. Why don't they take Najee Harris at thirty-one? You know, Chiefs might as well. Not a lot of holes. Um, <laughs> okay, Chiefs, not a lot of holes. But the Bucks don't actually have a lot of holes. They don't have a lot of positions where a guy could see the field right away. I would take Dylan Radins over him. I would take. I'm looking at guys that you have. I'm just saying around. though, Alex Leatherwood, Jackson Carmen. Like, why would you not invest in an old offensive line? 
but they're not going to start right away is the thing. Like, you, you draft any offensive lineman there, they're not going to start right away. Now, yeah, the Chiefs they were, probably the same will. thing. I, I know. I, you're fucking preaching to the choir. I'm going to be upset with you tonight. I'm just saying. Why did I say tonight? <laughs> that sounded so That was so bad. Of you. Oh, my God. Uh, that was terrible. But a running back would see the field. A defensive lineman would see the field. I can't wait for the, the Bucks to have that rationale. Well, we just wanted to draft somebody that would see the field, so we grabbed a running back. After picking up Leonard Fournette off the street and having him be our feature back. Anyway, moving to the second round, some picks I do like here. I like the Atlanta Falcons grabbing Wait, Caleb can Phillips. Do, can we do picks you don't like? I, I want, I like them all too. Okay. Well, I want to disagree a little bit. Here. All right, here, let me look. I, like I think the Najee Harris, some more Najee Harris takes. The Najee Harris one was awful. I also okay. think the Denver, you have Vic Banjo being an absolute kid in the candy store after already adding a ton of cornerbacks in free agency, getting also Asante Samuel Jr. and Javon Holland at the top of the second round. Yeah. They're, talk about path to the field. They've literally signed so many I guess so this was crazy. also before Kareem Jackson resigned. But Kareem Jackson, Ronald Darby. But now, yeah. I mean, they, they definitely added a lot there. That's their he's this type of cornerback. I mean, I know it's his type, but I just don't think they have a path to the field. Looking for more. Hmm. Davis Mills to the football team at 51. That's a little high. You like Davis, Davis Mills? Mills. Is the guy. He's the ahead of Kyle Trask. He's the guy that I think someone will fall in love with. Any other year, I have here's a take on Davis Mills. If this was this was the thirteen twenty thirteen quarterback class, all and Davis Mills was the only guy, and the, the top five didn't exist in this class, you would hear everyone would be talking about Davis Mills. You'd be hearing he'd be like the who's the Cal quarterback who really was just awful. His name Davis was Webb. Davis Webb. Okay, I was like, damn, he would be Davis Webb. Davis San Diego Mills State Davis beat Webb. Davis Webb. In the year I was covering the team for San Diego State, and it was awesome. Congrats, uh, but Davis Mills, he would be everyone would be like, oh man, you know, think think about what he could be if those guys didn't exist. He would be getting a lot more hype, and I don't, I don't think it'd be unwarranted. But fifty one's about where I'd start to think about a Davis Mills. You have uh, Kellen Mond going to the Chicago Bears in the third round. I kind of like that. I'm trying to find picks I don't like, but I like that one. Dylan Moses at 87. I said three rounds. Of I don't know if Dylan Moses is going in the top three rounds. Did you see he has an undisclosed injury that kept him from his pro day? Pro day was what was supposed to put him on day two. Oh. I don't know what's going on. He's battled some injuries he over the past not. few years. It's going to be kind of tough for him. Nico Collins at 91 to the Browns after grabbing Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think in the seventh or undrafted last year. They're just going to feed those Michigan receivers? He's a lot better than Donovan Peoples-Jones. That's for damn sure. Like, DPJ, freak athlete, was not a, was not a skilled receiver. Mm -hmm. Nico kind of is. He's just – he is in that mold that we usually don't go for. He's not a true separator, but he has some speed for a big dude, and he has very good ball skills. So I, I can see – I can see the people that love Nico Collins. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but it's just not my cup of tea sort of guy. Kind of like, like Brian Edwards last year. You're not wrong if you like Brian Edwards. There's things he does really well. Not going to be my cup of tea. A couple more picks I like because I just can't find any ones I don't really hate. Especially in the third round. At that point, you're just like, okay, finding some cool fits. I like Peyton Turner to the Dallas Cowboys at the back end of the third. Andre Sisko like to the thing. Ravens at the back end of the third. Tommy Tremble to the Niners to replace Kyle Juszczyk when those void years hit. Big fan of this mock draft. Yep. Go check it out for PFF.com. I would read every single pick if I had the time to do so. But you should just go ahead and check it out. On but BFF. we got a lot of offensive linemen to get through here. We got a lot of offensive linemen to get through here. And then we got interviews with Trey Walker, your guy. My guy. And Christian Uphoff of Illinois State. Did you ask him about the pro day? I talked to him the day before his pro day. Oh, no. Did you he, think you're at fault for his terrible pro day? I did. I must have rattled him. 
I don't know what to tell you. I must have rattled him. I went back and actually watched the tape after that because I was like so floored. I'm like, am I the worst analyst ever in the draft? Jury's still out for that. But oh my, like the tape does not match any of those numbers. Like the four six is the even the four six doesn't match. He is faster than that. I don't know what the heck happened at his pro day. I have a theory. I have all these theories. I have a theory that like he was supposed to transfer to Mississippi State. I don't think he was prepping at all to be like yeah. doing any of these drills. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh shit, I got to declare for the draft because I'm not eligible. Yeah. That sort of thing. And we talked about that a little bit. We talked about how you know he was going to transfer to Mississippi State, found out he wasn't eligible, and then like yeah. kind of like, oh, I got to go, go train. And yeah. I think that's been part of it. But interesting stuff from Trey Walker. But Trey Walker, when you get to this interview, and I encourage you to listen to the interviews, even though you, know, you don't have to, but you should, stay on to the podcast. He is one of the more confident receivers I've talked to. And that's what, when you talk to a confident receiver, those interviews usually turn out pretty fun. He was like, Man, I, he, I talk a lot about why do you play, you know, why do you pursue an NFL career? Why do you play? What's your motivation? Dude, like, was like, like, you could just feel the passion about how much he likes football, which is I, obviously really, really cool. Um, let's go now to offensive tackle class, starting with your offensive tackle one, which, by the way, is not Lance Zierlein's tackle one and not Daniel Jeremiah's tackle one and likely not Chris Sims' tackle one at this point. <laughs> like, he's probably going to be flipping the script there as well. But Chris Sims' tackle one, let's, let's take a shot in the dark. Chris Sims' tackle one. Rashawn Slater. You like Slater sack one? I was going to say like Sam Cosby. Just no. like, just crazy. All right. Okay. Your tackle one though, and the tackle one I, since really like past like 18 months is Penny Sewell yeah. of Oregon. Penny Sewell. All right, let's just go pro, movement skills, con, facing top talent in the Pac-10, Pac-12. Not, didn't face a lot of pure athletes that actually could test him, but oh, I keep going back to this. He is right now 20 years old. The last time we saw him play football, he was 19 years old. How many offensive line prospects in, in college football history do you talk about in the era of Penny Sewell after their sophomore seasons, that they are top three, top five picks after their sophomore seasons? Quentin Nelson was not even getting first-round hype until his senior year. He's probably the best prospect, offensive line prospect, the past five years. Not until his senior year. Joe Thomas... Would have been a first-rounder after his junior year. I think he tore his ACL, then came back his senior year. He tore his ACL in the bowl game, actually playing defense, I think I remember. Uh, came back his senior year. That's when he was thought of as Joe Thomas as a prospect. Penny Sewell is thought of in that air, but, be, but as a 19-year-old. But the tape that he showed was at 19 years old. These other guys, 22, 21, 23 coming out. That's when you start to think of him as this elite prospect. No, Penny Sewell was that at that age and i don't think that can be emphasized enough and in that conversation between sewell and slater it's like one guy like the age difference actually matters a ton along the offensive line when it's such a physically demanding position when you have to move the guy across from you or not be moved by the guy across from you when you're capable of doing that when you're three years younger than that guy Imagine what's going to happen when you're actually the man among boys. Though. Yeah. When, when you're 22, actually, 23, 24, yes. like that is going to be what he, where he can go. And the crazy thing is he's lost weight since he got to college. He was 360 when he showed up at Oregon. Really? Yeah. He oh was in God. the 30s. Like that was his, you were at, at least in high school, was massive. Dropped down to 330. And the dude can move. He's just, he's just different. Not saying he's can't miss. I, I'm kind of saying he's can't miss, but like not saying that he's a perfect prospect. He is not as good at the game of football as Rashawn Slater is right now. Mm -hmm. But where he could be, where he could go, 
is it's different than anyone in this class. It's different than even honestly anyone in last year's class, in my opinion. But there you have it. To add some context to his dominance at 19 years old in Please 2019, do. he had, so PFF grades every single player on every single play from a scale of negative two to positive two. Those positively graded plays being obviously good plays. In the run game, he had the highest percentage of positively graded run blocks of any offensive tackle in a single season we've ever seen. Yeah. Since, since 2014, at 19 years old. Yes, in the Pac-12, but at 19 years old. And that same season had the single best pressure rate allowed on true pass sets, no RPOs, no play action, no screens, of any tackle we've ever seen in a single season. Like, that's how good Penesula has been yeah. at 19 years old. So I really don't think – I mean, Rashawn Slater, very good in his own right, has very good true pass set numbers, all that stuff. His yeah. feet are insane. But, man, you factor in what Penesula could do as a run blocker as well. At, again, the age is a huge factor – I really do think that, like, this should be more of a no-brainer than it is. Yeah, and I get why people have Slater higher. Like, Slater is more consistent with his technique. Sewell got by a lot of the times just because he is physically a freak. But, like, again, imagine what he does when that consistency does come with age and with more practice at the position. I'm excited to see where he goes. And that's why I said I don't, I don't foresee teams – passing on him for a different position player. Yeah. I think he is the first position player drafted in this draft. And I still think that if the Dolphins don't take him at three, or say they trade out and a quarterback goes to three, and the Falcons trade out two as well, and four quarterbacks go with the first four picks, what is your what is the conversation for the Cincinnati Bengals between Panay Sewell, Kyle Pitts, and Jamar Chase? Kyle Pitts is great. And someone was like, Kyle Pitts is kind of in a similar tier of Sewell in that you're not going yeah, to get Kyle Pitts next year, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. That's just like, the odds of that guy being there, especially at five, it, like it's a rare, cl- there's a few rare skill sets in this class, but you, you don't need a cow pit skill set to win in the NFL. It's nice. You need pass protection to win in the NFL. So, and I don't think the Riley Reef signing should keep the, you know, since they yeah, from getting, and it's almost like you owe Joe Burrow at this point. You've, you've thrown countless big contracts to that defense and you've signed Riley Reef, Quentin Spain, Xavier Suafilo. That's what you've given Joe Burrow along his offensive line. Like, help a brother out. Yep. Yeah, like you do, it's, a re, it's, it's a real thing now, trying to keep a guy after the Deshaun Watson, after the Russell Wilson. you got to make that quarterback happy, or else he can hold you hostage and he can go. They're, why, they're not beholden. That's why you go draft Jamar Chase and get him his friend, who also fits a need. I think Jamar Chase also is a good security blanket. <laughs> Um, let's jump now That's... to Rashawn Slater, the number two offensive tackle on PFS board. And before you start, one of the biggest things you'll hear about Rashawn Slater is his feet. He's a really, really good athlete, can play inside, can play outside, but also something that everyone brings up. Chase Young. Chase Young. He did it well against Chase Young. And you have right here, I have the stats. In 80 pass blocking snaps against Chase Young, Zach Bond, Wisconsin Edge, AJ Panessa, Iowa, Kenny Willickis, who is not as good as those guys, but still an NFL edge defender. In 80 pass blocking snaps against those guys, he allowed two pressures, one to Bond and one to Epinesa. That, yeah. no pressures allowed against Chase Young. That is what you're going to hear when he gets drafted by, say, the Giants or whatever, and they're throwing up, they're talking about him. It's going to be, though, oh, I, man, he did it against Chase Young. I think what he allowed a pressure to Tyreek Smith, though, in against Jonathan Cooper in that game, even though, like, Ch- he, he didn't go up against Chase Young every snap. That no. was not, he was not, they were rolling away from Chase Young, honestly, like, intentionally in that game. It was not just him versus Chase Young for 80 snaps, and then all of a sudden, it, I thought that was a little overblown. But he is very good because I, I, because I didn't think he looked that great against A.J. Epinesa, like a guy who 
that's who you worry about with him at tackle is the guy who has length and who plays with strength because he is a little on the smaller side for the position and a little his length is not like those are his two concerns are his strength in his lower half and you know the anchor and pass protection and his length and those kind of got exposed against Iowa so that is what I would worry about I think he's going to be an exceptional guard if someone plays him at guard I think he can be a very good tackle as well but he's just not in the tier of school in my opinion all right, let's jump now to tackle three. Christian Derrissaw of Virginia Tech, also a friend of the podcast. He was on the podcast. One of my favorite offensive linemen in this class to watch, probably after Panay Sewell, because he is, a, I mean, he he hurts people. And he oh. may not look the part, you know, in terms, like, sometimes, so, you know, he looks the part. We've talked about this before. He, like, um, lazily beats people into the dirt. Like, I don't yeah. know what to say. It's, it's like, without that's effort, I, without effort, he can absolutely brutalize you. That's... It is crazy to watch his tape because it's not like Slater is 100 miles an hour. He's come flying off the snap, getting into your pay. Like it looks like a guy who's you know, given 110%. Derisaw is kind of just like comes off, hits you, but then he, th- he just throws you. And, and then he's on top of you and you're toast. Like he, he is stronger than you. He has that inbuilt physical advantage and is just a true hoss like that guy that guy is strong that's the strength you want at the tackle position you're just not going to be a threat to be bull rushed Mm -hmm. you can't go through him you're gonna have to go around him and 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 despite him being you know looking lazy or whatever like it's more he's just very under control and not overextending control control is a great word and not getting not getting himself in bad positions that's how he earned the highest grade of any tackle in the power five this past year so yeah highest grade highest overall grade highest run blocking grade and highest pass blocking grade of any power five offensive tackle this past yeah. year and i think so something a comparison i wanted to make was tevin jenkins gets brought up as this bully in the run game and he is yeah. but you like you can see it and you can kind of feel it with his tenacity on tape christian derisaw will whoop your ass for like a full game and you won't even know like he, like somehow you'll come out of it like man did that really just happen <laughs> you talk i talked to him on the interview you should go back and listen to that episode i think it was earlier this month you know, talked about his battle against uh, Quincy Roche. And he said, you know, I just showed up ready to play that game. Roche. And like, Roche, sorry. Quincy Roche, I showed up ready to play and I just knew I was going to beat his ass. And it's like, dude, I fucking love that. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to run through a wall for you, kid. And I mean, he did. There's reps where Roche just tries to, you know, high side him. And it's just one hand throw. Just, man. Like his I love that players know that too. Like, play, like Christian Derrissaw said, I knew that Roche was going to be going to be one of the better edge defenders I faced this year, and I was going to put him in the dirt. Yeah. Like that, that's just full stop. I'm going to take him down. And that is the thing with Derisaw. Now, Virginia Tech offense was not drop back pass all the time. It's a lot of RPOs. Was not a ton of him really getting tested on tape. But he faced Roche. He faced the Duke duo. He faced Carlos Basham. He faced uh, the Clemson guy whose name escaped me, Xavier Thomas. He faced a lot of quality edge rushers this past season because there were a lot of quality edge rushers in the ACC. And, oh, yeah, like you said, highest grade in, in the country. So there you have Dude's it. Dude's a monster. All right, let's jump now to – I think we're going to be higher on this guy than anyone. You know, someone was asking me, you know, why, why, why are you so high on Walker Little of Stanford? He's only played one game over the past two years. And talking to him on the podcast, another guy we've talked to who you should listen to, he hasn't faced a collegiate pass rusher in practice, in training, in over 18 months like he has not done it i asked him if that's part of his training process he's like i just haven't had the reps against some offensive linemen sure and like some dummy reps and stuff but like it's going to take him some time probably to adjust to the speed of the nfl he yeah. just quite simply hasn't played a ton of football i love your comp for him by the way in the draft guide i think it's um jared valdeer yeah i think it's similar frame and jared valdeer had like 
some really dominant years in the NFL and still gets kind of picked up by random teams in the NFL. But crazy, crazy athlete, former five-star, a better recruit than what? Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills coming in that recruiting class? So he was, so in that recruiting class was Kai Becton, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Alex Leatherwood, and Jedrick Wills, I didn't say Jedrick Wills. He had the highest spark score. Oh, that's so right. So he was the most coming out of high school. I think Alex Leatherwood was the consensus highest rated prospect in that class. But Walker Little, I think he was also a five-star in that class. And he was, after through two years, after his sophomore year, he had graded out the best of that bunch. Like, he was very, very good. We just then didn't see him after that. Yeah. And the thing was, I thought through the course of his sophomore year, if you watch the tape from the beginning to him towards the end of that year, you saw a ton of improvement in pass blocking tape. In his last seven games of his career in college, he allowed one total pressure in his last seven games. Didn't allow pressure in that Northwestern game, six games down the stretch in 2018. Didn't allow pressure. I thought he was getting a lot better and was going to be there, but it's just like we didn't see it. The fact that we didn't see it, I'm not sure is – it's obviously meaningful, but I think that also means that he could he could be one of the best values in this class because offensive linemen, especially when you're that physically gifted, improve every single year. That is one of the positions that if a guy doesn't – if a guy like caps out in terms of his grading, it's often because he does not have the physical tools to make it at the NFL. He has something that – he's is never going to be fixed like the guys who are the truly elite athletes continue to improve it's rare to see them really take a step backwards so he was going to get better and he had an 81.2 pass on grade as a true sophomore they rave about him in that program david shaw talking about he's you know the best started as a true freshman maybe the best offensive lineman he's ever recruited there I, i'm all in i'm just i'm all in on walker little as being not in i think it's that top three i feel really good about in this class and then after that there's major question marks with the rest of these guys. I think Walker Little is the fourth tackle that I would take in this class. Man, that is, I mean, ahead of Tevin Jenkins, ahead of Dylan Radin, Sam Cosme, Alex Leatherwood, that's uh, that's high praise. All right, let's jump now to Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State, a guy that, another really, really good run blocker, got it graded really well this past season for us, also graded really well in pass protection, a really standout season for Tevin Jenkins. And he did it against some dogs too, like Ronnie yeah. Perkins, um, Joseph Asai game is one that everyone brings up against the Texas edge defender. Like he put it on in the Big 12 and uh, rightfully so. I think we'll come off the board in the first round. I think the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers at 24 are probably the floor for him. Like if you're not sprinting the card in, I mean, I can see he could go as high as 17 in the Raiders. Like you could see the Raiders Fall getting in, in on this tackle class and falling in love with Tevin Jenkins. Yeah. The two kind of knocks, well, one, he's 23 years old already. So when he's beating up guys, it's like, eh, he's on the older side. You would expect that. 20, 20, what did you say, 23? Yeah. 23 years old, beating up on Joseph Asai, who's young and raw as hell. Yeah. You know, like, I think that, so, that uh, people always bring up, like, why does age matter? I get that a lot on Twitter. I don't know if you do as well, but, like, why does age matter in scouting? It's, it's that. It's like 23 years old. Yeah, physical development. You're 23 years old going against a 19 or 20-year-old who is still developing, still learning the game. You're supposed to be good. You're supposed to be better. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that, I mean, I don't know. We don't have to get into, like, muscular development <laughs> here, and we don't have to get your dad on the podcast, but, like, that's why it matters. Some, so many people think, oh, you're still going to be able to draft him and he won't, he'll only be like 27 by the time it's this rookie count. It's like, that's not what matters. It's, it's like, yeah. hey, how good were you at 20? Because that's how good fucking Panay Sewell was at 19. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, how good were you at 19? That kind of stuff. Yes. So, Tevin Jenkins, uh, his, he's not the most fleet of foot, but he definitely makes up for it with that level of you know, power that he has in his upper body. It's pretty ridiculous. And what I love is the way he uses his hands. He's 
independent hand usage in his pass sets, is creative with them. He is not just, you know, throwing wildly there. He is already refined. I think some people might see him as a guard because of his length. It's not exceptional for the position, but I think right tackle, I would just keep him there, and he's going to be solid for you. All right, Jump. I, I kind of want to ask you this question, but it's putting you on the spot a little bit. How many of these guys are – you know, compare this class to last year's class because a lot of people liked last year's offensive tackle class with Mackay Becton, Tristan Wurst, Jedrick Wills, and Andrew Thomas all going, what, inside the top 12, top 13 yeah. picks? How many of these guys do you think are top 13 caliber players like we had last year? So just Sewell and Slater. That's why I think last year's was more top-heavy. This year's is better. Deeper. A lot deeper. Gotcha. Makes sense. So I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven first-rounders right here is what, how many we're going to get through. Next one's Dylan Radens of North Dakota State. He is ridiculously explosive. Uh, I mean, that guy comes off the line of scrimmage. He, he's only a sh- like a shade over 300 pounds, which is really well on the small side for an offensive tackle. You don't see a lot of guys holding up in the NFL at that, but he can. And that's like when he went to the Senior Bowl and guys tried to bull rush him, nothing. They, they didn't get an inch on him. And he goes pro day numbers just off the charts, 34-inch arms, 7.263 cone ridiculously good i think that's the exact same as what ezra cleveland had last year or maybe like a tenth of or a hundredth of a second off four five seven shuttle nine four broad jump 32 inch vertical this guy is that all around explosive offensive tackle prospect and i think what we saw from at the senior bowl again the junior tape i didn't absolutely love like I, I, there were some issues on it but then again guys develop and what we saw over the course of that week highest grade in the one-on-ones highest grade in practice highest grade in the game that's a that's a good that's a good base you know we saw titus howard look good in the week of the senior bowl and he went up 24th overall he didn't look as good as dylan raiden's did over the course of that week of the senior bowl so uh, i think he i don't know if he goes in the first round because there are so many offensive tackle prospects but he is a first round offensive tackle prospect i'm locking into him going to the kansas city chiefs him or sam cosby the guy we'll talk about next going to the kansas city chiefs at 31 i think they want to swing they the bat need. on and off the tackle and i think both those guys fit what they want to do at that position. I think Tevin Jenkins will be off the board. I think the injury risk and like two years not playing football for Walker Little ultimately pushes him to the second round. And at that point, regardless of him being a first-round talent, I don't think he comes off the board in the first. Dylan Radins, Sam Cosme, I think those guys could be the fit for the Kansas City Chiefs at 31. Let's talk Sam Cosme Cosme. a little bit. You know who's going to talk Sam Cosme later? Me. Talking to him today. Should be be a good one. I I remember the first, first like – opportunity I had to watch Sam Cosby was when he went against Caleb on chase on got kind of battered down a little bit you saw him lose pretty badly against Caleb on chase on but you look over the past two years there hasn't been you could probably count the guys that have been better pass protectors than him on you know it's Rashawn Slater and Penesel than Sam Cosby like, that's how good he's been in pass protection on true mm-hmm. pass sets I know the Caleb on chase on game isn't his best but still you see that ability against other edge defenders in the big 12 Sam Cosby has had a ton of success a lot of athleticism movement skills what you need at the offensive tackle position to beat speed in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he had about as elite a pro day as you will see ever. I don't have the numbers right in front of him. You want to find those numbers for his pro day. Yeah. Talk about him up a little bit. But the only thing, I, the only worry I have is his ability to then sink in his pass sets and not, and not get bull. Like when Caleb on chase on, when a guy who's 240 pounds was consistently bull rushing him, and taking him back into the pocket because he struggles to play with leverage. That's That was the one thing that really is just worrisome to me. But the all-around athleticism, the mirror ability, the strength in his upper body, it's all there. I, I think he's close. I just have – it's those games stick out in my mind or those reps 
where he kind of just gets forklifted by a defensive end still stick out in my mind because that's kind of what was the thing with Jason Spriggs coming out that I maybe just burned on him because I was a fan of his because he was a ridiculous all-around athlete and just never ended up never ended up happening with him in the NFL it, it Cosme is a better prospect than Spriggs though it is, has fewer issues on tape than Spriggs did so maybe I should should get that out of my mind because I do think Cosme is still a very very good prospect in a first round type of guy Looking at his pro day numbers now, 6'6", 314, 484, 40-yard dash, 98th percentile, 168, 10-yard split, 98th percentile, 99 broad, 98th percentile, 43, 20-yard split, 98th percentile, 735 cone, 94th percentile. That is a rare dude. That is, at 6'6", 314, yeah. holy shit. I mean, you saw him take that throwback screen against West Virginia back in 2019 and just he turned into a tight end. There was indistinguishable between him and – Every tight end in this class besides Cal Pitts. <laughs> you know, like, that was what it was. That was when pounds. we were doing, when we were still doing segments like uh, Fake ID. And, like, Fake ID, Sam Cosby. It was, like, two years ago. It was, I think it was 2019. It was, okay. it was the. It is two years maybe ago. Maybe it was the Beer Belly Play of the Week. Oh, it could have been Beer Belly Play of the Week. But he's also 1,500 pass blocking snaps in the last three years. I, I just talked about Derisaw and that offense not testing him. Cosby's been tested. Now, competition always hasn't been great in the Big 12, but he's been tested. He is pass blocked a ton there and so that's why i think the cosme to chiefs fit is everyone it's going to be a popular one because he can step in right away you, you don't really not yeah. a lot that he has to necessarily change to then play on an nfl football field all right let's go to day two now some of these offensive tackle prospects we'll start a little bit of these yeah cause. we'll start with um jack carmen who another friend of the podcast a guy that he told me teams do him as a tackle not a guard and a lot of teams view him as one of their top offensive tackles. So, from his opinion, his side, obviously some bias, maybe, but he's a tackle and a lot of teams like him. Yes. Another guy. Only 21. True junior coming out. We graded him back in high school when he was at Fairfield here in town, Cincinnati. So we got to get him out here to Cincinnati. He didn't, he didn't, man, he did not give a shit. He was Chris Derisaw in high school where it was just like throwing guys without even really coming out of a stance and he actually yeah. spoke to that a little bit on the interview about yeah. how like he's always just been physically and athletically better yep. than the people he's gone against and you even saw that at clemson like there he rarely saw like legit mm -hmm. he said the best pass rusher he's seen over the past two years alex highsmith alex highsmith of charlotte who's now playing i think going to start for the pittsburgh steelers along the edge like that i think goes to show like and Char i mean alex highsmith's great but like he has not seen a lot of like legit talent in the ACC along the edge, and he's just been objectively better than a lot of guys he's gone against. Yeah, it dealt with some injury issues this past year, but I love the way he uses his hands. You can tell he's just a naturally coordinated guy who just hasn't really – I think that's the biggest thing there. He hasn't had to develop his skill set, and I think he could have come back to school and been a top-10 pick. That's the level of physical tools we're dealing with. If he, if he showed that, he obviously didn't, obviously chose to come out. I don't think he's going to be a first rounder, but he has that sort of talent and that like at 330 pounds, the way he leads out in front of screens is different. It's almost, it's damn near Penny Sewell-esque and what he can do on the move. So big fan of his game. I just think might not be a guy you plug and play day one, which you're going to draft a tackle in the first round that you can't start right away. That's a tough sell. I think he's a guy who maybe it takes a year, but then down the line, you can see him as a quality starter. Definitely try him at tackle first, too. Like, oh, he's a tackle. Yeah, 34-inch arms, and he, he moves well enough. I, he's definitely a tackle. Uh, I have to break the off-to-tackle discussion to bring up this three-cone. Oh, no. Warren Jackson to Colorado State. Colorado State. Oh, wait, wait, let me guess. Seven, eight. Seven, eight, one. Oh, dude, still got it. That, that is insane. He is a monster, to be fair. Like, he's a big dude. What, six foot six, six two nineteen? Six, two nineteen. But on tape, that's what you worry about 
we always say the tall guys, everyone's like, and he oh, ran a four six four seven forty four six seven forty. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Tight he's, end? He wasn't even on our board. He's outside of the top two fifty. He's the tall guys cannot get off the line of scrimmage. Everyone thinks, oh, it's Calvin Johnson. No, you can't move. You can't turn when you're that tall. It's very difficult to do so when you are that height. That's why every point guard in the NBA is six foot or shorter because to get around and be nimble helps to be short. All righty. Jumping now to that might have been aggressive, but continue. That's good. Alex Leatherwood, Alabama offensive tackle, guy that went to you know I was expecting some dominance from Leatherwood at the Senior Bowl. I talked to him I think a couple days ago. That'll be on a future podcast. But expecting some dominance from the Senior Bowl, he went out there, showed up. And I just wanted him to be like the best guy there. And Dylan Radins just yeah. took the show. But Alex Otherwood brought up something interesting in that a lot of teams value, and we'll get you'll get this on a future episode, but a lot of teams value his versatility. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think, because he's this long, you think tackle, 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 tackle. But he also has reps at guard and good started ones. Started at right guard, a sophomore. Yeah, started at right guard and, and then obviously played tackle. And he said biggest things, biggest strength in this class is his versatility, ability to play inside and outside, and also his fucking resume. Like he has started in the SEC multiple positions along the offensive line yeah. and seen legit competition for a long line. He was like listing off like how many first rounders I've gone against. I've gone against a lot of, I'm going to come in and have a mm-hmm. lot of experience. I think he's a guy that you draft on day two, maybe doesn't have the ceiling of some of these other guys, but he's going to come in and start right away. Yeah. The scary thing with him is that his issue has always been the same and has been fixed. Like he just, every, you watch pretty much every pressure he gives up and it is him getting his hands taken away and opening up the door with his outside leg. And then just guys letting guys turn the corner on him. Like he just lets guys have that. And that's going to happen a lot at the NFL because that's where, it's where a lot of rushers win. That's where your best athletes are off the edge is trying to get to the edge on you. And if you open up the door that easily, they're just going to do it all day long. So that's the concerning thing to me with him. But he is in himself. Like he has the, he has the tools. He is explosive. Dude, I think he had a 34 inch vertical yesterday as pro day has like 35-inch arms. He has it to play tackle. Yeah, It's just that concerning issue continues on his tape, and that's why like, I'd be scared to draft him day one at tackle. All right, jumping to Liam Eichenberg of Notre Dame, a guy that I think you've – I've seen his name mocked in the first round from a few guys, but I don't know if he ultimately does go in the first round. Give me your thoughts on Liam Eichenberg. So consistent. I mean, his pass protection technique is like – broken record that's that's another name guys though that's what they're known for the coaching there you just get the best and so he is very technically sound does not use his hands that well though like his pass sets are consistent he can mirror plays low but then he just his hands are not as good as i would like them to be i think he's nothing special athletically but more than good enough to hold up a tackle in the nfl he's just solid kind of across the board for me and that's that's good. Like mm-hmm. I think he's starting tackle in the NFL for a long time. But I just he's more he's closer to like a Riley Reef than he is a who is like a Quentin Nelson's He's just like he's just good. That's fair enough. Kind of what you're getting. Can I can I have a gripe? I have a gripe. Gripe. I Boy. hate the trope he's gonna play this position in the NFL for a long time. Because how often do people actually fucking follow up with that? It's like, how often do they actually play in the NFL for a long time? No one really knows. It's like the, it's not, I'm not, I'm not targeting you right now. And I'm not saying it's equal to fun to watch, but like no one falls up on that. He's going to, he's going to be, a, you know, he's going to be a good guard for the NFL for a long time. It's like you're, you, no one's going to back that up. No one's going to double check you. Yeah, sure. You can say that about any player in this class if you want to. Brady Christensen is going to be a good offensive lineman in the NFL for a long time. It's like, okay, I, I don't know if I believe you. We'll see. I'll never back it up. We'll never follow I think that's through. the opposite of upside. 
Yeah, yeah, I know it is, but like that's the anti. I still, I still don't think it's floor. a take though. It's not really, I, I, it's not a take because no one's gonna follow up with it. No one's gonna be like, oh wow, how long did he play? Only six years. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, I, I do think there is something to saying this guy can play in the NFL, can start in the NFL, but that that might just be all he is. Yeah. It's but like I don't think eight. you should dro- drop the – I like that better than the long time. Yeah. Like, this guy can start in the NFL. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a very good take. I'd like yeah. to know that. There. But saying he's going to fucking – he's going to be in the, starting in the NFL for a long time, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, and, and no one's going to back you up on it. Yeah. Either way, let's jump to James Hudson, Cincinnati off the tackle. Go Bearcats, University of Cincinnati, Mike Quinn's own. Um, former defensive tackle for Michigan, transfers to Cincinnati. Yeah. Has a really successful season with Cincinnati. Headbutts a guy in the bowl game. Oh, my God. And then gets ejected. His backup comes in. Lauren Metz. Talked to Zizo Jalari about this. We were laughing on that interview about that guy coming in and trying to block him. Yeah. That ultimately loses Cincinnati the game. I hate to open up wounds here. That loses Cincinnati the game. But James Hudson, raw athlete, raw I mean, player. Jalari probably could have gotten Hudson in his own right. Not, not to the like level Hudson, that Metz was getting level beat. That, yeah. yeah, that guy just was a speed Okay, player. but I, I'm talking too much about Metz and Ojolari. Give me something on James Hudson. Yeah, Hudson's, so he's former defensive lineman. was recruited as defensive lineman in Michigan. Only switched to offensive line, I think, like two or three years ago, three years ago, something like that. So he is very raw. But, man, you see, you just see the natural athleticism. And, and the fact that he's kind of getting the job done already, 79.9 pass blocking grade this past year with really no consistent technique to speak of whatsoever is very encouraging that that's to me speaks to a nat- like a high level of natural coordination that a guy has that he can still get by without kind of just like winging it each snap and so that's what you see with him the pass sets are all over the map like his feet are kind of a disaster it's it's he's a project you're not going to step him in if you put him in at left tackle right away you're going to have a bad time it's not going to be fun but i i think there's legitimate reasons that he's raw there and he is just a very natural athlete that you don't find a lot of guys six foot five three fifteen that move the way he does he's got that that sort of planet theory of the good lord only made so many guys and a lot of them end up being successful offensive tackles in the nfl all right moving last through last two day two defensive tackles you have listed here it's brady or offensive tackle sorry I was talking James Hudson. Uh, Brady Christensen, BYU offensive tackle, who yep. graded really well this past year. And then also Deontay Smith, I think, of East Carolina that went out um, and played well at the Senior Bowl and came out of that Senior Bowl with a lot of people talking highly of his games. You thought Quinn Miners rose, and he probably he did probably more than Deontay Smith, but yep. Deontay Smith also saw a decent rise from his performance at the Senior Bowl. So Christensen may end up being a guard, but he is he's kind of kind of everything I just said about Liam Eikenberg, just say to a lesser degree about Brady Christensen. It's kind of a it's very solid player, strong lower half, like has that to his game. Not going to be a liability in that regard, despite being you know, just a shade over 300 pounds. Some of the best hands in the draft class, like he gets on you, you're done. But then he didn't play a high-level competition. When he did face some good guys, like Peyton Turner from Houston, got kind of exposed. I do think he ends up ultimately being a guard, but I do think late day two, more than worth that shot. And then Deontay Smith, ECU, this guy is a tackle through and through. Has that ideal tackle build, I think 35-inch arms. Just looks like uh, pterodactyl almost, the way he can engulf you with that length. And that, that helps a lot. At tackle. It, it puts you in a good position uh, on a lot of snaps. You can do a lot of different things that a guy with short arms at off the tackle cannot do. Very raw, though. I, I do like what I saw from him at the Senior Bowl, which is why he is where he is on this list. I, I, th- I thought the way he used his hands 
was a lot better than a lot of long guys. A lot of long guys just look like the wacky, waving, inflatable tube men, mm. where it's just like that, those, they're going everywhere when they're too long like that. But I do think that he at least knows how to use them and is super raw, though, but is worth a third rounder to try to tap in because, again, tackle, the desperation is real. Not a lot of guys have the ability to do it or even come close to doing it in time at the NFL level. Compare East Carolina's Deontay Smith to former UConn offensive tackle Matt Peart. Ooh, that's not a bad comparison. Uh, I think he's a better athlete. Peart was kind of, I mean, he had a dog shit three cone, a dog shit short shuttle. He was not a lateral lead agile. He had, the- <laughs> he had the wingspan, and that gets you in the door, and that, again, it helps you out a lot. You don't have to be super agile if you could just clamp down on a guy because you're always they're not going to be able to get around you with that wingspan i thought deontay smith's a little better uh prospect i need that agility i got short arms i gotta be out there just fucking yeah you want to see some sets later i'll do some pass sets for you i don't right. okay tonight yeah apparently we're hanging <laughs> all out right day three offensive tackles then we'll jump to interior offensive linemen here we gotta move quickly yeah just run through these names and we'll see we got spencer brown of you and i jalen moore stone Forsyth of florida i don't know some of these schools i say western michigan jalen moore i saw you skip over that one t- tommy doyle Miami, Ohio. Miami, Ohio. Josh Ball, formerly Florida State. Then he went to Miami, Marshall. Ohio. Or Marshall. Cole Van Lannen, Wisconsin. Brendan James of Nebraska. And then Eric Jackson, Iowa. Adrian Ely of Oklahoma. Of Oklahoma. Spencer Brown's going to get the, – he's the highlight real one here. Yeah. Sub-7-3 cone. He is a freak athlete. Six foot eight. Looks like – I mean, it, it looks like just a tight end on steroids. And moves like one. But my Lord, the level of – just competent like he's just not good right now he's just not even close to good and, and he showed up to northern iowa like the same frame as you yeah the guy has put on some weight over the course of his college career ridiculously explosive like all the physical tools built in a lab but just you're gonna have to completely teach him how to play offense tackle the only other notable i will highlight here is one stone forsyth much higher ranked on lance lines yeah. board who played for Florida and also graded really well in pass protection. Two, Josh Ball, undraftable in my opinion. I'm not touching Josh Ball. He's not good. His background is also horrendous. He has yeah. a pretty bad domestic violence charge on his uh, background that is awful. If you read it, it's in the draft guide. Go yeah. check it out. Not good. Not going to speak to I it. didn't even like his tape, to be honest, but people are high on it. But he was like a former four-star, former yeah. five-star. Uh, the, one, the one guy I'll say is interesting here, my favorite word, Jalen Moore from Western Michigan, because... He just he has some just disastrously ugly reps, but the guy has the movement skills, the the build, kind of has it all for a tackle. And when he puts it all together, it looks really good. Like Spencer Brown has it all. He just never really puts it all together. Jalen Moore, you'll see it. You'll see the flashes, but then you'll also see him just completely on his face in his pass sets. I'm guessing probably hasn't gotten the best offensive line coaching at Western Michigan. Not exactly sure, but I'm just intrigued by what he could become, Jalen Moore, of any of these day three guys. All right, let's now jump to interior offensive line, starting with your best interior offensive lineman in this class, Elijah Vera Tucker. Only of, day one guy. Only Elijah. day one guy, Elijah Vera Tucker of USC. It's just ridiculously steady. It's the best word to steadiness is his biggest Consistent. problem. He, snap after snap, gets where he needs to be. Gets his hands where they need to I be. I love the voice you're using right now. I'm steady. I'm steady. But he's, <laughs> he's just not, he's not super elite athlete. Not long enough to pull, hold up a tackle, in my opinion. Like, Kayvon Thibodeau exposed him at tackle and 
expose why length matters at tackle when Came you are Thibodeau. super short. Or is it Thibodeau or Thibodeau? I think it's Thibodeau. Thibodeau. He exposed a lot of people. Yeah. That's I mean, going to be a guy we're talking not, about next year a lot. Yeah, he was. Or this year. If you saw the, or listened to the mailbag pod, he was a blue chip for next year. But Elijah Vera Tucker, plug and play, guard, not going to have to worry about him. He's very, very good. Do you think he ultimately goes inside the first 20 picks, 25? Where do you think a landing spot is for him? <sighs> That's a good question. Maybe the Bears. I think Raiders, man. I think Raiders another Raiders. team. I think Raiders are going to reach, not necessarily reach, but they're going to go get their guy along the offensive line. I it's not going to be the consensus best available. And they're going to go get their guy at 17, like they have for the past three or four years. Get Richie Incognito to mentor him, too. I, perfect guy. Perfect guy. Who else would you want? <laughs> Micah Parsons might fit in with Richie Incognito. Please stop this off. Jesus, okay. All right. Uh, never mind. Moving to day two, uh, Landon Dickerson, Alabama center. Yes, so Landon Dickerson's tape would be day one were he not to have uh, no ACL in his left knee. I think it's his left knee. But torn his ACL in his left knee twice. Has had other, uh, I think an ankle, maybe a shoulder. I should probably know those. But he's, vet, injury history, maybe one of the worst in the entire draft class. That's obviously going to scare teams because, one, not going to play a super valuable position on the interior. And two, like you just don't know with that at that point he is a walking with you know a frankenstein acl that's not something you want at the nfl level so that's the obvious concern but man he he ticks the o-line coach boxes like wholesale o-line coach is watching him just you know pulling out the lube getting turning on late at night if they can't go to sleep that's that's land addictions tape for you Social team, don't make that a quote graphic, please. Uh, let's jump you now. Don't want, you don't want my, Mike Renner says pulling Pull out, out the loop. loop. And then and Dickerson. Dickerson. <laughs> Dick right underneath it. Quinn, of anyone, loves Dickerson. that He wore 69. 69. Yeah, solid. Yeah. Might get that jersey. All right. Could be an option Can for the Bengals. Can you explain that joke for, to me? No. Okay. Bengals, day two. Go get Dickerson. Go get that some would... Dickerson. Yeah, then uh, he, he has, has one ACL, ACL and Joe Burrow has one ACL. ACL. Together, you can make a whole ACL human body. Yeah, I love that actually. I love that's it's a really good fit. You drop, drop a Frankenstein reference. Let's get Frankenstein here and build build a super player. I'm glad you're you know talking about Frankenstein as the doctor and not the monster. That was that was a nice cut there, Quinn. Quinn's smarter than you think. All right, Wyatt Davis, Ohio State. Wyatt Davis, I I, I love his tape. I think he is a fantastic guard. He legitimately has injury issues himself he like went down in three games this past year with a knee have heard it is not going to be great for his projection at the nfl it's never been disclosed exactly what it is but that's the biggest worry for me and, and i thought it impacted his tape I, I thought he looked a little labored by that knee injury this past year his red shirt sophomore tape if he would have come out in last year's class as after his retro sophomore year i thought he would have been the first interior office alignment selected in that class that was excellent that year he didn't allow a single sack a single hit I don't. I think he had one loss, one on one in pass protection. All the other ones came on stunts or blitzes. He is just as sound as he gets in that regard. Uh, not super dominant, but he has that blend of athleticism, physicality that I, I think he's going to be very good. Just barring that knee injury. All right, biggest riser maybe outside of Zach Wilson, Quinn yeah. Miners, Wisconsin Whitewater goes to the Senior Bowl. Pops the gut out. His nickname at Wisconsin Whitewater was The Gut. Also a friend of the podcast. That video where he's working out in Canada. He said he was just looking to work out, and you might as well film it. It wasn't like a stunt or anything. It's like, yeah. dude, you got to find it. Quarantine does a lot to you. So, Quinn Miners, monster. Ideal physical traits, too, is the other thing. Kind of 
difficult to tell on tape when you're going up against the competition you went up against. You kind of throw that out the window, just what he's doing there. But 320 pounds, 49940, which pro day adjustment, maybe like a five, but that's still great. 7543 cones, 458 shuttle, 903 broad, and a 32 inch vertical. That's just like every single box. And then 33 and three quarters inch arms, three eighths inch arms, excuse me. That's every single box. That's what you want to see for a guard, for a center, for any interior off the line position. He can play. And I thought the fact that he had never played center before goes to senior bowl and then looks good at center. It just speaks to a level of, again, coordination that I think it takes to be one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. Dude, he told me that he'd never, not only did he never play center before, but he was practicing snapping in like the lobby of the hotel in Mobile, yeah. trying to get ready for this game. And then broke his hand. It wasn't snapping. I think Ian Rapp, he told me Ian Rapport posted that it was snapping. It was doing something else. I think he like got locked into a pad or something and then was begging Brian Flores to let him start or let him play. And then he was only allowed to go in, I think, for like a victory formation or something like that. Yeah. So Quinn Miners, dude, absolute stud. I am a big fan of his game. I mean, I'm excited to see him. Very Ali Marpet-esque in terms of prospect. Ali Marpetery, I think is how you'd phrase that. I like Marpet-esque. Okay. Marpetery. All right. Kendrick Green. Ooh, man, this guy's pro day was insane. He legitimately, you, 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 because you, we've been talking about Kendrick Green for a long time. And you, the first thing you brought up with him, I think it's his strength in the draft guy's explosiveness. Guy just puffs off the tape. Then he goes and runs wise. He has like a hundredth percentile broad jump, like for his size. And like, man, he's got, I think you saw a little bit shorter. From a percentile perspective compared to other interior offensive linemen, maybe a little bit lighter as well. I think just at 305. But, man, this guy can scoot. So, a lot of people are asking him to maybe switch to defensive tackle because, like, I mean, he's got yo, a lot. Yo, honestly, with that level of athleticism, do you have pull up the numbers? I'll pull up know. the numbers. I got you. But dog. he tied Landon Dickerson. He played in eight games this past season. He tied Landon Dickerson for the most big-time blocks. That's like the pancakes, the high-level blocks the in fire, our grading the system. Flames. Tied Landon Dickerson. Landon Dickerson played 12 games. Two-thirds of the t- of the nuts. amount of snaps, and he tied him for the most big-time blocks in college football. Only, he was only on for uh, a few hundred run block snaps all, all year, and I think he had 14. Just like that guy blows dudes off the ball and just kills linebackers. He is – I think he's a center. I think it's going to be his best position as center. He's got short arms. A little – a little bit of short arms, a little thin frame, but he is just rocked up in that frame. And there's that video of him being able to do the uh, the hamstring lunge. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Where you someone holds your I can heels. do that too if you want. Can you? Mm-hmm. It's impo- Have you ever tried to do one? No, I've never tried They it. are. I mean, it feels like your hamstring is going to tear and you're going down. It, I can't do one. Not a, lot of people, not a lot of human beings can do them. You have to be a high-level athlete, and he's 315 pounds doing them. Quinn, so, could you come over to Mike's place and film us a little bit? Just kind of grease up and do some of that if you're keen oh that's what you had planned on later so. yeah just the hamstring stuff uh but kendrick green's numbers i have him right here six foot two three oh five ran a four eight five four yard dash 99th percentile among interior offensive linemen according to pff's database going back to 1999 i believe 2.18 second 20 yard split 97th percentile 1.69 10 yard split under that 17 mark at 305 97th percentile 36 inch vert 99th percentile and a 911 broad 100th percentile like the best this- <laughs> Not 36 inch vert at his weight, uh, that's out of this world. What's your vert? Uh, in my 31. prime, it was probably around 37. Now it's probably like 32, 33. Getting maybe, old, maybe 34. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Get I can still do those. Then. I can still do a 60 inch box. Did you see that we might be doing some of our mutual friends are doing a softball league? Yeah, dude. I only hit nukes. Do you? It's just bombs only. 
I might Quinn's a big softball a guy there. too. I had to get him involved. Producer Quinn. I'll play. And it's uh, like Zach Wilson. Anytime, any what was it? Anytime, any yeah. team, any place. Except for Coastal that's, Carolina. <laughs> that's that's me, but with uh, beer league softball. All down. I don't think it's beer league officially yet, but we will play with beers. Yeah. All right. Creed Humphrey, Oklahoma. Creed Humphrey. He's very steady interior off the lineman. Uses his hands really well. Uh, it's pro in the draft guy. Strong hands. It's kind of the draft guy. Is leverage. I honestly think he's a better guard than he is a center. Played center, obviously, his entire college career at Oklahoma. Didn't take a single snap anywhere else, but he's six foot five, 320 pounds. I think this guy could be a versatile guard in the NFL because I do worry about him getting under those stout nose tackles, the Michael Pierces of the world, the six foot 340 guys. I think he's just going to struggle with. So I'd love to see him at guard, but I think he's just a very solid player you can plug and play. Next one on this list, Jalen Mayfield, Michigan. Everyone loves Jalen Mayfield. Just I think they pulled off on guy. him, though. Jalen Mayfield was getting mocked at the back end of first rounds, and now I think you're, more and more people are mocking him on day two and more considering him a guard than a tackle. He's explosive. He has the highlight reel blocks as many as anyone else this past year, and he only played two games. Not as many as anyone else, but he has a lot of them in two games. Like He, he can get... He can throw, guys. He, he has that level of strength and is young, only 20 years old still. We'll turn 21 in May. But... Man, he does not use his hands exceptionally well. His pass sets are just not, frankly, not good. Very raw in that regard. Is probably going to be a guard with his arm length at the NFL. Like I think at thirty-two and like a quarter inch arms. He's just. I, we like to see proficiency to draft a guy highly along the offensive line because it's it's not like a what's the best way to say like it's it's still a skill position like it is is it's similar to wide receiver like innate skill there's only so much you can teach a guy skill like there's only so many guys i always use the the steph curry analogy it's like you can't teach guys to shoot like steph curry steph curry was shooting like steph curry when he's in fifth grade there's only so much you can get there and i, I just feel like maybe it was a little far behind at this point last guy on day two you have here is ben cleveland who he hit the pictures I've seen of Ben Cleveland shirt off. I mean, you brought up the lube earlier, but like, I mean, Ben Cleveland has the most insane frame of any offensive lineman in this class. He looks yeah. like uh, you have it listed here. I'm going to go ahead and read it. World's strongest man body. It's, yep. He looks like the guy that you see like all powdered up. I don't know if Quinn can pull up a photo, but when you're powdered up and you're going to pick up one of those big ass balls. Yes. That is what yeah, he, looks what he like. looks like. I mean, I mean if, you, if you saw him doing that, you would not bat an eye. Like, oh, yeah, that's another one of those guys. He's probably from Germany. His name is Frankfurt or something, and he's going to pick up this Frankenstein. ball. Uh, Frankenstein, maybe. But that's what he looks like. We need to fucking pull up a picture of he's Ben Cleveland. He's 6'5", 350. And you look at him. Oh, my God. That's crazy. He's 6'5", 350. You look at him next to Trey Hill, who's the center at Georgia, who is six foot four, three thirty, And Hill is like noticeably fat like you see it in his legs you see it like kind of hanging out his arms and ben cleveland just looks like another guy like he, he does not have fat on his frame like he's not holding extra weight there in the middle of that george offense line he is the definition of built different that guy is a horse thought quinn, quinn i just dropped the photo in the two for one drafts channel check that thing out. has reportedly <laughs> done over 50 reps on the bench at 225 at point at times in his georgia career only did 30 as pro day sadly but he is that guy is a different level than even anyone in this class in terms of just like how he's built physically. Dude, what kind of shirts does he wear? Like, honestly, this is a just insane build. He doesn't look human. Yeah. You see that guy at a bar and you're like, I think that guy's going to hit me later and I'm going to respect it. You know, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, what are our cons with Ben Cleveland? 
the cons with Ben Cleveland is she's <laughs> a little stiff. Like on the move, him pulling, him getting the second level, he is not quite that. He is a phone booth guard still, even if he is built like you know an athlete. Does not quite move like one. But he's been exceptional in pass protection over the course of his career. Only six pressures allowed this past season. 86.2 pass blocking grade. Has had academic issues at Georgia in the past. Has kind of split time there along the offensive line. But I'm a big fan. I think he's a good day two guard in like a gaps game. Money. Money in the bank. I also think that I, I can't th- stop thinking about this picture. If you were like, if he was on Tinder, which I don't think he is, he has a girlfriend or a fiance potentially. Um, if you were on Tinder and you're a girl and you're looking, you know, if you saw that body, I think you almost swipe left because it's just too intimidating. It's too scary. I don't want to date fucking Thor, you know? I don't know. I, that, again, you know, all the females that listen to this podcast, which I'm sure are in loads, definitely let me know. Let me know if what you think of the Ben Cleveland friend. And, and he's like a country boy. They, they Better said be. before he would go hunt he would go hunt before practice come on <laughs> he would wake come up on. at like 4 a.m and go hunting dude he's gonna go way higher than you think i mean there dude you get one zoom call with ben cleveland i, I feel like there's gonna be a, <laughs> a guy that maybe that's who the raiders take at 17 well, he's gonna go early because the hunting thing because football coaches i feel like love to hunt that's and hunting. somebody's oh, gonna be like absolutely. oh i just want to go hunting with this guy man just he's gonna be boy. a social media i mean whichever Darn. team drafts him that social media team better flock and make some moves because yeah. he's got it all you know remember that who was it who like hunted a gator in crocs recently it was like that video kind of showed up in the offseason oh yeah someone i think it was i don't know regardless ben cleveland's gonna be media monster all right let's finish up here with the day three into your offensive lineman um you have it broken down into guards centers and versatile I'm going to read them each. For the guards, you have Deontay Brown, a.k.a. Cornbread of Alabama, Trey Smith of Tennessee, Aaron Banks, Notre Dame, Larry Borum, Missouri, and then Robert Jones. Don't know the school off the top of my head. Uh, Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee. So Deontay Brown, he just got no lateral. He's a phone booth through and through. We've talked about how the dude was like 365. He slimmed down for his pro day, got to the 340s, but he is – the weight will be an issue there. The movement skills will be an issue. He will, in my opinion, be scheme limited, even if Alabama did run some outside zone, did do a number of different things. Easier for you to do at the college level with the athletes along the defensive line. I think you get exposed a little bit if you try to do that with him in the NFL. Trey Smith's the one I kind of go back and forth on, Tennessee guy. Super talented, has legitimate reasons with the blood clots in his lungs that he had over the course of the offseasons. Obviously, then COVID this past offseason didn't get that kind of off-season development to his game. So there is something there. But again, another guy who's kind of a plotter, kind of stiff in pass protection and just has not been that great. I'm sorry, I have to break this up. I just saw a graphic come across my screen from Fantasy Pros that has a skill chart for Trevor Lawrence, like accuracy, 77, arm strength, 78, clock presence, 80. Yeah. Decision-making is a 76, and mental processing is a 76.5. Tell me. Tell me what the point... I need to know. I need to know what the difference is between decision-making mental processing, one, and also what gives them the 0.5 edge. I need to know. You act as if that's not PFF grades. No. That has like we point. don't grade mental processing. I'm just saying. Either way, at least there's like a formula to that. I don't know if there's a formula that they're like charting every single game. It's like, yeah, it comes out to a 76.5 mental processing, but it's decision-making a 76. Either way, let's jump to centers. Maybe it's on a scale of 76 to 76.5. Oh, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. All right, centers. You have Drake Jackson, Kentucky. Drew Dalman of Stanford. Stanford and Michael Men at Penn State. Is his name Michael? Because if it is, his parents suck because it's spelled M-I-C-H-A-L. Yeah, it's Michael. Oof. Or it might be Michelle. That's what I was like. It's not Michelle. 
It might be. It Manet, might be Michelle. Manet is like. Is it Manet like or Manet? I don't know. Fuck, dude. We don't know this guy's name at all. <laughs> Penn State. <laughs> but these guys are. You're not going to play these guys at guard. These are centers, and that's more like usually then they kind of get pigeonholed as zone centers because they're undersized. But I think actually Manet could play in a number of different schemes. They're all of these guys. I like Drake Jackson probably the best. I thought he improved a lot this year, the Kentucky Center, in terms of being able to deal with power, being able to deal with strength and not get overpowered. And I think in his own scheme, he could hold up. But all these guys are kind of in that mold where they're going to have to go to the right spot and you're going to have to protect them a little bit one-on-one in pass protection, which not not really the guys you want. Then You want the guys that can you don't have to question. They can do it all. Last one's here on the versatile tier. Robert Hainsey, Notre Dame, David Moore, Grambling State, Josh Myers, Ohio State, Trey Hill, Georgia, and then Jack Anderson, Texas Tech. Hainsey's the one who's interesting to me because I thought, I didn't think he was much of a prospect before this past year. And he obviously played right tackle at Notre Dame. But he improved a ton this past year, was so much more consistent. And I think his tools were never great for an offensive tackle. I thought he was always destined on the interior. Then we went to the senior bowl and played center. Uh, I, I thought the consistency in terms of center is not a position where you need high level tools. You, you don't have to be like Travis Fred, Frederick, the Cowboy Center, famously ran the slowest 40 of any uh, guy at the combine that year. And then obviously became a Pro Bowl, all pro center for multiple years for the Dallas Cowboys. The, you, athletic testing means almost nothing there. You get by on technique. And I thought his jump leap in that and then the way he played at the Senior Bowl was intriguing to me for what he could do at the center position. The other name I'll throw out here is David Moore, Grambling. Physically, he reminds me a lot of Damian Lewis coming out last year where it's like, where I'm like, that guy's how how big? He was 350 pounds at the Senior Bowl. And it's like, he doesn't look 350 pounds at all. Like that guy just wakes up at, at that size. I, I don't think he could lose weight. Like he is just a naturally massive dude from his legs to his arms to everything about him. That guy was built to be 330 and holds it really well. The level of competition is going to be a jump for him. But again, another guy who I thought looked good at over the week of practices at the Senior Bowl. So those are two intriguing names in your versatile tier of day three linemen. Love it. Offensive line class overview tackles and guards also talks Ooh. a little mock draft. We probably lost up. a lot of listeners there. Not yeah, sexy that, position. That was a grind. Ah, it can be sexy. Don't tell Ben fucking, um, I'm forgetting his last name. Ben Cleveland that. Don't tell Ben oh, Cleveland yeah. it's not sexy. All right. That's going to do it for this year, this episode on the offensive line preview. Now we're going to jump to interviews with San Jose State's Trey Walker and Illinois State's Christian Uphoff. Now joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is actually a PFF favorite, man. We've been high on your game for quite some time. Was really you know, excited to get you on the show. Trey, um, sorry, Trey Walker of San Jose State. Great to have you on the show, man. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. So I want to start with, you know, because I think a lot of reason why people may be sleeping on you in this class or not, uh, uh, underrating you in this class is because you made that decision from, to transfer from San Jose State to Mississippi State at some point this year, but then made the pivot to enter the 2021 NFL Draft. What all happened there? What all went down? Coach Brennan originally thought it was best for me to enter the draft right away, but mm -hmm. I felt still had something to prove being underrated. So I wanted to go to the highest level of competition in the SEC and just compete with those guys and just to show everybody that, I mean, I can compete with anybody. But uh, unfortunately, I had to have two years of eligibility left to transfer to the SEC, which kind of ruined my chances there. 
it, I, next was the grad transfer and I had a couple classes left to take. So I just decided to, you know, go, go give it a shot for my, my dream. I know I was talented enough, so I'm just working hard to get where I got to got to go. Gotcha, man. And are you graduating from San Jose state? You graduating from a degree with a degree? Yeah, I'm going to be graduating next fall from San Jose state. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, man. Very cool. Well, how has this training been for your product? It's been good. Like it's been really eye-opening and humbling. Just going from working out with a team every day, you know, pushing each other to be great, from pushing myself to be great. It's just it was a it was a big turnaround for me, just especially, you know, not making a decision right away to go to the draft and just mm -hmm. kind of shifting gears and shifting my mental to, you know, be a little bit selfish. Uh it was just, you know, it's it's been it's been real fun. I'm working on a lot to get better. Gotcha, man. And who have you been training with this offseason? I've been training out with uh, at Travel Gang, Travel mm -hmm. Gang out in the like West Hollywood area. And then I work out with uh, Gary and Coach Drake for my speed work. And then got to give my shout out to Coach Finn, who's been helping me get my get my routes and stuff together. Very cool, man. That, that's awesome to see. And, and I'd be interested to know what, what weight you played at this past season and if you're working to a different weight this offseason as you kind of prepare for that pro day. Uh, yeah, I, I played at 172 this season, past season. I've been playing at 172 to 175 for the last three years. Uh, I'm really trying to get more comfortable with 180, 185 just to go up in that next level and compete with those guys. I really want to put on that 10 to 15 pounds of muscle and you know play at that weight gotcha man and then when is your pro day i forget it's tomorrow gotcha tomorrow man big day big day tomorrow i'm sure some celebration in order i've talked to a lot of prospects where i say as soon as i'm done with my pro day going out with the boys it's definitely gonna have um some food and those types of things so that's awesome to hear man i'm happy it is tomorrow and you're getting that behind you going back to kind of your career at san jose state you know really really productive player for them over the past you know few years honestly really broke out i think in 2019 over 1100 receiving yards that season and 86.0 pff grade that year what you know went into that you feel breakout you know 116 targets this that year after just getting 40 and 57 in the two years prior do you feel like your game really broke out then or was it more opportunity kind of striking at san jose state i'll say my 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 uh first two seasons the offensive scheme well really my sophomore year when coach mcgiven joined our program it the offense was really featured around josh oliver i don't know if you guys remember him he was yeah. the and I went third round. Our offense was really featured around him. So I was really secondary to him uh, my sophomore year, just, you know, kind of playing playing behind him until we found the grand scheme. They didn't really know the who I was as a player. I was still, you know, upcoming uh, with the staff. They just, you know, uprising. Mm -hmm. My junior year, actually, I think going into that, that offseason, I just really displayed – what I can do as far as my route running and just understanding of the offense and what we what we had going, it was it was just easier. And I got to give credit to Josh Love because he definitely trusted me a lot more than some of the other guys, and he gave me those opportunities to go out there and play. Just the relationship and bond and trust we had that we built over time. Uh, it was, yeah, it, it just it just happened. Like I I can't really say we planned for it because it was supposed to be uh, me and Bailey both both really going out there and doing what we have to do. So it, it just, it just so happened. It, it was, it was a lot of targets for me. 
Gotcha, man. I, I'm glad you brought up your route running. I think that's something that, you know, Mike has talked about, my podcast co-host, and also what we feel is like kind of your biggest strength in this receiving class. You know how to get open. You know how to create separation with your route running. Would you say if you put your scouting hat on, that's your kind of biggest separator among some of the other receivers? Do you feel like that's your biggest strength? Yes, sir. Most, most definitely. I feel like a lot of the dudes in this draft class, like not to knock anybody's game because I, I feel like they're all great receivers and they all have tremendous athletic ability to go out there and, you know, play the game. But I think what separates my, myself is just really my understanding of how to get open and what I'm doing and the routes that I'm running. Yeah, I really take pride in, in running routes as a receiver, the art of it. I'd be interested to know kind of what goes through in a given game week for you, how much, you know, what film you're watching, how much film you're watching and how you prepare for like an upcoming cornerback. Cause to be that good of a route runner, I'm sure you have to put the work in on film, look at cornerback tendencies, get an understanding of the opposition you're going to be going against. What exactly do you look for on film in a given game week? How does that preparation really pan out? Well, first and foremost, I always got to get like, get the, get what we're going to do on offense. I got to get the, the scouting report from the coaches of what, what they feel like the weak parts in the defense are. And I know like for us at San Jose this last cup, this last year, and really the last two years, we like to run the ball to get the pass game started just to, you know, get more defenders in the box. So we get a lot of press coverage. So I feel like press coverage is actually something I have to work on, but I also feel like that's my strong suit because just when they come to the line of scrimmage, just I know the, the little tendencies that I find on film, like, you know, when they play, when some corners play cover two, you know, they inside foot might be up coming with a quick jam. So I, I find like a lot of tendencies and and that type of stuff, watching film, just with the press coverage, not more so off coverage because it's basic in the co collegiate level with, you know, cover four, man to man, off coverage, you can't really tell that stuff. But I also watch the, watch the NFL guys like Jalen Ramsey and those top tier corners and see what they do and how I can beat that. So, yeah, I've talked to some other receiver prospects in this class that bring up watching NFL corners like Jalen Ramsey and seeing what they're going to be going up, going up against in the NFL. But it means to know, you know, this offseason, have you watched any more film, say on yourself or NFL wide receivers that you kind of want to pattern your game after? Yeah, I mean, I, I critique myself. I'm my hardest critic because I feel like it's always something that I can do better. And be better at. I look at a lot of the guys like my size, my weight, and see what those guys do good. And you know, just kind of put that into my own game. I was, I'm really a huge Odell Jarvis Landry guy. You know, I really like Mike Thomas's art and how he gets open and how he uses his hands on his uh, slant routes. And it's it's a lot of it's a lot of things that you can take from a lot of guys. You know, like Devontae Adams, even Devontae Smith coming out of Alabama. You know, even some of the art he does. Mm -hmm. I feel like gotta fit you just gotta put in it like just all figure it out in your game how to play the game and I feel like I can do pretty much it all so I watch you know the, the six five guys even to the five nine guys yeah something I'm interested in is kind of your interest or your your ability or thought on maybe moving into the slot in the NFL you played a ton of outside receiver at San Jose State do you feel like your game has some of that positional versatility do you think you could play the x to z the y those different you know positions on the football field Right, yeah, I can play inside for sure. Just based off running routes and having the understanding of the coverages, you can go inside and just you know pretty much be dominant there. But I, I, I kind of, I, I take the pride of going outside and winning over those bigger corners. You know, giving your quarterback always a target. You know, when he, when he feels distressed, you know he can just go outside and just trust that that receiver can make the play. So that's kind of where I feel comfortable at. Wherever the receiver feel comfortable at, um, I know in the NFL is based off scheme. So uh, mm -hmm. I can 
myself really, really fitting in in the slot scheme wise, just based off my blocking too as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think you have to have that mentality as a receiver that you can win on the outside, regardless of your skill set and those things. I think you see that in your film as well, kind of in those one-on-one situations, playing with that kind of alpha mentality. What's your approach to, you know, if a corner starts to talk a lot of trash? I mean, you know, because I think there's a big mental side to corner versus wide receiver, even pass rush versus offensive tackle. What's your approach when you kind of have a corner talking trash, or do you even talk trash yourself? Oh, yeah, I talk trash. I mean, I think that's the beauty of the game. Like, I know – some some trash talk is friendly and some trash talk is personal. I, I think it depends on which which one which one it is, you know. Because uh, you can trash talk and you know be friendly and want the best for a guy, or you can completely want to dominate the guy across from you. And uh, I kind of Coach Brennan actually kept me like helped me keep a fine line in the just playing my game and mm-hmm. not really up in, into that trash talk. But I get excited when it, when that when the corner starts talking trash, man. It's it's. It's exciting, man, when you just, you know, you just give them that look. <laughs> and they don't to say too much, like, boy, you know where I'm from. <laughs> That's basic, dude. I, I, I love that part of the game as well. You know, some people shy away from trash talk or, you know, let their game speak to themselves. But I think it's a part of the game. Like, you're trying to, you know, mentally beat down on the guy as well. So I can definitely respect that. Uh, Trey, really appreciate the time. We can finish with this one. I'd love to hear what your motivation is to kind of, or your why. Some people phrase it like that. What your why or motivation is to continue to play, you know, football at the levels you do. Make the sacrifices you do like you are for your pro day and upcoming uh, your career in the NFL, what is your motivation to kind of continue to play this game? Man, my mom, most and foremost. I remember the day I wanted to quit because I got hit too hard. She walked me down back to the field and made me point out the guy who hit me too hard and uh, made me go go right back again with him. And then since that day, man, I love the game. And then it's just it, – it's it's nothing that you can just go out there and hit a dude in the mouth like that and, you know, just play with passion and aggressive aggressiveness and uh, just – Oh man, it just gets me excited talking about the game. <laughs> it's just, oh man, that's my why. Just you know, everything, the the injuries, the hard work, everything. The, it's I can go on and on, man. It's you got to really love what you're doing to to continue it for so long and pursue through all adversity, man. So, I mean, it's uh not too many people built for it for this lifestyle, man. And I I like to consider myself built different, man. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome to hear, man. You could definitely you know, feel the passion you have for the game and through how you answer that. I, that's awesome, man. I really wish you the best of luck moving forward, and I appreciate you setting aside the time to jump on the show. Yep, thank you, man. Appreciate you having me. Now joining the 2-4-1 Drafts podcast is former Illinois State safety Christian Uphoff. Christian, great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Of course, man. I heard you're you know, out there training for your start on the 40. Your, 40 is to, or your, uh, your pro day is tomorrow. How's that been going so far, the training? Yeah, man, training's been going great. I've been out in uh, Dallas, te- Dallas, Texas, training at XOs. I got a great speed coach. I've been out there for like three months now, so <clears throat> I'm expecting good numbers on my on all my agility training. Nice, man. And who are some of the prospects that you've been working with, or who's been in your workout group? <clears throat> yeah, um, Jeremiah Owusu, Zayvon Collins. I mean, Jamar, uh, Najee, Zayvon Collins. All those, there's a lot of big time guys working out with us. That's awesome, man. Have you been, have you making any friendships off the field? I'm sure you guys aren't doing a ton of partying or going out to eat because you're training for these pro days, but I'm sure it's been fun to hang out with some of these guys. Yeah, we get dinner. We get dinner most, most nights. Um, there's a lot of cool spots to eat. Me, Zayvon, Trey, Jeremiah, we all grab dinner and we just talk, talk about football. Um, one night we were at this place called North Italia and Michael Irvin was there eating dinner with his wife and, uh, 
he came over to our table and was talking to us, gave us, gave us his cool speech and gave us his number, told him to, to hit him up if we needed, if we ever needed anything. So that was pretty dope. That's awesome, man. Very cool. Michael Irvin, speech at dinner. You love to see that. Yeah, uh, it was awesome. I got goosebumps. <laughs> um, right here, I saw you listed, and I think it's cool, you know, to talk about this kind of stuff when you're training. I saw you're listed at six foot three, one ninety five. What weight are you? What, what weight did you play the season at um, in in twenty nineteen? And then what weight are you working up to now? Yeah, um, in twenty nineteen, I played at like one ninety five to like two hundred in that range. Um, the weight I'm at now, I'm at solid like 210, 210, like two thirteen, like. Um, pretty much like 212 i'll weigh in and i'll just weigh like 212 every time mm -hmm. but um yeah man i feel comfortable at my weight i feel pretty fast at my weight um i think i was just born with my speed so the weight's not really affecting that um at all nice man. but yeah i'm working i'm just trying to uh work to like 215 210 range in between there and did you get that feedback from nfl teams maybe at the senior bowl to work up from that 195 to 210 range or did you just want to add the weight Oh, I was just adding the weight from uh, 2019 season to 2020 season for um, for Illinois State. Mm -hmm. I was at like fall camp and 2020. I was probably like 205. Gotcha. So then after that, um, I went to Exos and I gained some more pounds. And uh, the scouts didn't really say uh, a lot about my weight. I mean, they were happy with my weight. They didn't say I needed to get um, bigger or anything like that. Gotcha. And talk to me more about the experience you had at the Senior Bowl. I know you got a lot of praise from some of the other you know, players down there in Mobile and, and some coaches as well. What was some of the feedback that you got from the coaches at the Senior Bowl? I'm sure you talked to a lot of scouts there as well. And, and talk to me really about that overall experience. Yeah, man, that, that experience was awesome. It was so cool being, um, being in there with that group of guys, being um, with the Miami Dolphins coach, staff coach Flores. He's a great coach. He's a good dude. Um, had a lot of good guys on my team ian book sam ellinger a lot of good dudes um but yeah really it was just super awesome super humbling just to be around uh all those great players you know, and, uh, oh go ahead i'm sorry you can go you know, what, what I was going to bring uh, also say is that something that I feel like is a strength for you is obviously your movement skills. You're, you're an, an incredible athlete coming out of Illinois State. But something else I really like about your game is your versatility. You know, over 200 snaps played at slot corner in 2019, over 200 snaps played in the box, and then over 400 snaps played at deep safety. Also had a ton of success as a kick returner in your collegiate career. Do you feel like versatility is one of those things that really separates you in this class or something that you, you feel like is a bigger strength for you? Yeah, most definitely. I think that there's probably not a safety in this class that can kick return like I can. I'm not saying I'll kick return in the league, but I just, I just think that it just shows, like you said, how versatile I am, how much of a, a good athlete I am um, to just catch that ball and just, you know, run like I'm a running back and wide receiver. It's pretty cool. That's probably my favorite thing to do is just kick, get kick returns and run the ball. Yeah, I mean, kick returning is, is is definitely a specific skill, and you have that for sure. What do you feel like you want to most improve on or what you want to most prepare for transitioning, obviously, from Illinois State to the pros? Yeah, I want to um, – probably the main thing I'm trying to improve on is just, like, my man-to-man my man, -to -man coverage um, on, like, the slots. Because you know how it's different uh, in college. We can, you know, we can push and shove and all that good stuff. But once you get to the NFL, you can't touch them. Mm -hmm. So that's main th main thing I'm working on, just using my feet instead of my hands. Um, another thing is uh, approaching the ball in the open field, tackling. I think um, everybody needs to work on that, but I I work on that a lot because I don't want you know I, I don't want any missed tackles. I want to make every single tackle I can. So those are the two main things.
Gotcha, man. We can finish with this one. Uh, and I really appreciate the time, Christian. But what is your motivation to continue to pursue, you know, football as a career and make the sacrifices you have to make to, you know, get this far in your, your football career and then obviously pursue the NFL? Yeah, um, I would say my family. Um, I got two little brothers that look up to me a lot. And I just I just want to do this for my family, for my mom. Um, she's She's been through a lot. Single mother, raising raising two kids. So I just want to be able to take care of her and take care of my family. Gotcha, man. Family's always first. I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate the time. Best of luck moving forward, my friend. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wednesday episode of Two for One Drafts in the books. That means tomorrow we are recording our mailbag. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. We are going to get to your question. We're answering like 40 to 50 a week now, or 40 to 50 an episode, and we're doing two per week. You guys keep them coming. We might go to five episodes a week come April. I don't know. We'll see. Quinn will do it. All right. Until next time, uh, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer Dave Sofaro, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. (laughs) 